Father, we do thank you for the fact that you do choose to reveal yourself to us. and We thank you for the wonderful truth that is um, what your Son has done uh, for us on our behalf. Lord, now we ask that you would just reveal your truth to us, open the book so that we may understand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, in this series, we've uh, been discussing a, a number of topics. And we did look at uh, God's Word, looked at God Himself, His essence, attributes, looked at creation, the providence of God, and then um, uh, looked into sin. And finally, uh, in preparation for for this uh, next section, we looked at the person of Jesus Christ, uh, his deity, his humanity. And it's uh, really kind of, a, as it is in Scripture, a crescendo that builds up to the work of Christ, which is the central theme of Scripture. You can see the, um, the Scripture that's on our first uh, slide there. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is really the central um, message of the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. Now, um, if you'll look at, uh, hopefully you have your the little note sheet there, but we'll, when we look at the three offices, there's Christ's three offices and the states of humiliation and exaltation are on this slide here. So there are different ways of looking at the, uh, the work of Christ. If you look at any um, study in systematic theology, you might have uh, several uh, uh, ways of looking at the work of Christ. These are two of them, uh, two of the more popular ones. Um, you look at, I have two systematic theology books and they have completely different uh, approaches to looking at the work of Christ. So we're going to take a look at these two um, uh, ways of looking at the work of Christ and we'll start off with the three offices of Christ. So the first office that we have is prophet. So you look on the on your sheets uh, that's the first blank that you have there. Um, prophet, the ultimate revelation of God. And um, the bottom line there says we know God through Christ. So the prophets uh, were um, uh, God's uh, messengers or God's uh, spokespersons uh, for him. And even as uh, Hebrews 1, um, 1 and 2, the scripture that you have uh, listed before you says that in the past, he spoke to his people through prophets. Uh, they gave um, God's word to the people and revealed truths about God or things that God wanted his people to do or um, whatever he wanted the message for the people to receive. He, he, he gave through the prophets. Well, in these last days, it says here, he has spoken to us by his son. So there's a little bit different. Uh, we have, uh, again, a prophet. We have the ultimate revelation. So it's, it's, it's much greater than all the other prophets. Jesus Christ being God himself, second person of the Trinity, is able to reveal even more about God than um, any previous prophet. One of the things about the prophets um, in the past, in the old days, they would, if they 
if they said something that wasn't true, if they said something that didn't come to pass, they were disqualified. And so Jesus Christ, of course, um, he he um, as he lives his life, he and everything that he says, everything that he comes, everything that he says comes true. Everything that he does is truth. Everything that he does is perfect. And he fulfills this office um, better than any prophet did in the past. So he is the ultimate um, prophet uh, that allows us, that reveals God to us. The next office that we have is priest. And whereas the prophet is basically taking God's message to his people, the priest is kind of reconciling or bringing the people to God. And we see the the this idea of priest or this theme of priest in Leviticus and again in Hebrews. Uh, and if you look at the tabernacle or the uh, temple and you see um, this, uh, a, a lot of the the themes that are present in there, you get to see a lot about um, Jesus Christ in uh, this this uh, in the person of the priest. So you have um, a high priest that uh, went would would take uh, the sacrifices for the people, and then he would go uh, into the you know once a year into the holy of holies on Yom Kippur, and he would go and he'd, he'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And uh, but before he was able to do that, he himself had to even he had to offer a sacrifice for himself because he wasn't perfect. He wasn't undefiled. Um, Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest. He is holy, innocent, undefiled. He's separated from sinners. He's 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 not the same as any priest that has come before him. And so, uh, as it said in verse right here, 27 on Hebrews chapter seven, he doesn't need uh, daily to offer up sacrifice because he, he has done it once for all. Now, one of the interesting things about Jesus Christ as priest is he's not only the priest, he's also the the um, uh, the sacrifice. So he's, he, he fulfills both. Uh, one of the things about the, uh, we, could, we could go in a whole, um, uh, looking at the, at the tabernacle and looking at, at the, the um, what is in the Holy, Holy of Holies and what is in the holy place, we'd see the, the, the showbread, which uh, kind of gives us a shadow of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. We see the lampstand. He's the light of the world. The altar of incense, which signifies prayer. Jesus offers intercession for us. So there's a lot of themes in, in that. And we're not going to go in, into that because that's a whole other uh, set of, uh, of teaching. But uh, uh, we certainly see um, a lot of themes and a lot of um, uh, information that leads us to Jesus Christ. The third office that we're going to look at, the next blank, is king. So Jesus is the ultimate king of the universe. And if you think, well, what about Lord? It's it's all wrapped up in king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And we are citizens of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of heaven through Christ. So um, we could we could go and do a full study on um, looking at the work of Christ through these offices of prophet, priest, and, and king. But we're going to take a look at uh, the next method, which is the states of humiliation and exaltation. And so this one looks at uh, the scripture, uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. 
And you'll notice I broke those up into two sections there, three verses each. So um, 6, 7, and 8 look at the uh, humiliation of Christ. And then 9, 10, and 11 describe the exaltation of Christ. And for today, we're going to look primarily at the humiliation of Christ. And we'll be focusing more on the themes that we find in verses 6 and 7 and 8. So let's take a look at uh, a couple of notes uh, on this before we move too far along. So let's take a look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God's God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Now, um, interesting thing, the word form in English, and it's the, it's the right translation. If you look at a, a parallel um, parallel translations, you will see that everybody, the, um, the NASB, the New King James, the ESV, Young's Literal, they all translate form of God. There's only one major translation that that uh, uses a different, um, translates it differently, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So it's the right word. The problem is that that in English, our idea of using form gets a little skewed because we typically use form, like we might say um, that cloud is in the form of an animal, or that cloud's in the form of, you know, I can see a car or something like that. And and so we get the kind of connotation in our mind that somehow it's just a shell, that the word form means that, okay, and, and this is where people sometimes get a little confused and they said, well, is he just the form of God and he's not really God? But, uh, and I have the Greek word there for you, that, that form really is an outward expression, but with the idea of that's really what it is. That's, it's an outward expression of the inner essence, the inner substance. And, and we could also look at... Um, the fact that this word is used two times in this same context here. So whenever we see this, it's kind of like a, a parallel parallelism between the, with the, the two words. And so we have form of God and form of a servant and, and, and form of man, you know, in the likeness of men. So if we had, if we had someone that had a question about, was well, it really God? Well, it's used in the same context and it talks about the form of, of a servant uh, in the likeness of men, and so we know that he, we we studied it even last week. We have all the scripture that talks about the humanity of Christ. So he really was in the form, in essence, in everything of a man, fully man. And, and so if he's fully man, then looking at the parallelism of this, he's also fully God. Another word there that, that pops out it, that helps us with this is equality. So it, it says there, um, uh, do not regard equality with God. The word is uh, isis, which we get the word isometric, you know, exercise where you don't actually move, and isosceles triangle, two things being exactly the same. And so um, the, the teaching is very, very clear here. Now, the NIV does try to capture this by, by saying, um, uh, using the word nature, you know, he's uh, the nature in very nature, God, and which is the right idea, but it's not a literal translation. The literal translation is form. Another word to look at is emptied. Kanao uh, is the word there, which means basically 
empty out, make void, make of no effect. Uh, I put the note there of kenosis. So if you want to do further study on this, there are volumes of work on kenosis, which is the emptying of, uh, of Jesus Christ, of his deity. And so it says that not, not uh, um, he did not regard equality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And there are a ton of theories about this. One of the things that we have to really make sure that we cling to is that Jesus Christ never ceases to be God. That, that, that cannot happen. And so it's important that we remember that. So you have some that, that will uh, take a, do a study on this, and they have a bent. They want to say, you know, okay, they want to really attack the deity of Christ, or they want to do something like that, so they'll study this, and, and they'll look at this word emptied, and they'll try to, to make something uh, of it that it's not. Fortunately, we have um, a volume of Scripture which uh, really builds on the deity of Christ and, and goes along with this, and it's in full harmony with that. So the humiliation of Christ is what we're talking about right here. And there's another uh, way of looking at this. And we'll go to the next slide here. It says the humiliation or condensation of Christ. Now, you may not have this. I don't think you have this in your notes. It's just my own, just my little tile here. Um, I want to just pause for a second. This idea of condescension um, is uh, something that uh, you'll find in some of the older uh, literature um, from from sermons, and uh, it it really is speaking of the same thing. But uh, when we think of you know some condescending, we always have this negative um, idea. You know, people get offended. Oh, you're you're speaking to me in a condescending way, whatever. But condescension really is a it's something that we do quite often. If you have a child, you will often condescend. You will maybe go down to a knee or or get down low and see them face to face so that you can relate with them. As a grandparent, I have I've had little ones, and uh, I find myself when they're when they're really little, I'm you know their life is 24 inches off the ground and below. And so if you want to get it and relate to them, you've got to get down there on your hands and knees and, and crawl around with them to get into their world. Um, and this, in a small way, gives us an idea of what Jesus Christ is doing. Uh, Jesus Christ condescended. He came down, and we're going to take a look at that. The other thing I want to look at is humbled versus humiliated, because we say, hey, it's the humiliation of Christ. How is that? It says in Scripture that he humbled himself. Well, really, it really it, he, had, he did humble himself, but how far was that humbling? And that's why it's called the humiliation. So that'll take us to this next slide. Again, it's not something that you have there, but I wanted to kind of take a look at, at this one here. That he, if you'll see the scripture, I just kind of broke it out in, in steps like this, just to kind of take a look at how uh, Christ stepped down for us. And that very first step, okay, he existed in the form of God, that first step, he emptied himself. Um, that first step is huge, huge. Taking the form of a bondservant is next, but let's look at the empty himself. To go from from being fully God, we, we can't even imagine that kind of idea. Okay, me going down to, to be with my toddlers, <laughs> nowhere close to that, right? Um, if I was to... Um, make myself like a slug 
okay? You know, Slug takes him 10 minutes to get across the sidewalk and he leaves a slimy trail. It would be messed up, but that is still light years less than, than Jesus Christ being fully God and emptying himself. It's not even close. I think we get a little taste. Once we're in, when we're, we have our glorified bodies, we're going to sit there and go, man, if we had to go back and have a, a non, a, you know, take on a non-glorified body, get a mortal body, that would be really messed up. But, um, uh, but we, it still will be nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done in emptying himself. Taking the form of a bond servant and, and then you see the next line, in the likeness of men. I did, did separate those because they're, the word for bond service, by the way, is doulos. Um, but uh, uh, angels are, are servants of God too. But he made Jesus Christ a little lower than the angels. So, so taking on the form of men is lower than the servants he has had, um, that we, uh, the other servants that we see in Scripture, the angels. But now taking on the likeness of men wasn't the full manifestation of his humiliation. It con continues further. He humbles himself, obedient to the point of death. Now he is not only a man, he is a man who is condemned to death, which is a, a, further, a further step down. And then again, even death on a cross, the most humiliating type of death there is. Uh, naked, exposed, you know, that's the lowest of the low is how he identifies on our behalf. So I wanted you to look at that idea. And again, I threw condescension in there. If you see, if you see uh, writing, you see about a condescension, it really is talking about the same thing, the humiliation of Christ and getting into this idea that we find in Philippians chapter two. So we'll take a look at the state of humiliation. Your next, uh, your next, uh, um, space there we'll talk about the incarnation of Christ and so um, if you look at this here it looks if you look at uh, verse 17 therefore he had to be made like his brethren if he's going to do a work on our behalf he has to be made like us this is the the creativity of God in and developing this plan. By the way, this is a plan A. There is no plan B. God didn't have to change his mind after Adam and Eve sinned and said, oh man, we got we to gotta come up with a plan. They messed everything up. No, this is plan A from before the foundation of the world. So uh, if, 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 he is, um, if he is going to help us, he has to be made like us. I want to, there is a, uh, the verse right above, I want to You'll take a look at that because it's going to come up a little later on. It says, for assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives helps to help to the descendant of Abraham. So we know that the angels, they, uh, they rebelled and they sinned, right? And they were booted out. And God did not come up with any kind of redemptive plan for them. But he did have a redemptive plan for us because that was, that was part of his plan. And we'll see that that idea come up a little later. So I just want to plant that in your head. The next slide we have uh, takes a look at your next um, uh, two spaces, the sinless life, active obedience of Christ. It's really talking about the same, 
the same thing there. I'll mention uh, a little bit about active obedience. So one of the things that he has to do um, is uh, his sinless life. He lived the life that we are incapable of, of living. So uh, he lives a perfect life for us so that he can, when, when one of the things that we're going to have is Christ is going to take on our sin and bear our sin, but he's also going to impute his righteousness to us. And so his sinless life um, is an important part of that. So he was, we were able to see from these scriptures here, um, he came to fulfill the law. He lived without sin. And, uh, and then the Romans 5.19 puts it together. For as though through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Okay, made righteous, justified. Okay, so it's through his obedience, his sinless life. Now, this idea of active obedience is another thing that you might, if you see this, uh, I only go to this uh, kind of sidebar here because we have this written down here, active obedience. There, there's a, there is, you can look at the work of Christ as the active obedience of Christ or the passive obedience of Christ. Or I shouldn't say or, and, the passive. So the active obedience of Christ is his sinless life. The passive obedience of Christ is his suffering and death. So we need the passive obedience of Christ, the fact that he suffered and died on our behalf. He bore our sins on the cross. We need that to remove uh, the stain of sin from us. However, that that just takes us that takes us to kind of a a a, a moral neutrality. Okay, we're we're back to 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 step zero where Adam and Eve are in the in in the, the garden. They haven't sinned yet. That's where we are. We, we really need. We haven't done anything to merit favor. In order to do that, you actually have to be obedient to what God asks you to do. That was uh, Adam and Eve had that opportunity. They had only one thing that they had to do. You know, don't eat from this from this uh, a tree here, and they blew it. Okay, if if we were given, we like to think that we. Oh, I think I could handle that one. But we would have all done the same thing. Okay, eventually we would have all done the same thing, and so. Um, we still need to be able to be obedient. We're incapable of doing that. So now we need the active obedience of Christ, his sinless life, which will be able to impute to us our righteousness. So it's important for us to understand um, those two things. So now we'll get into the uh, death of Christ next. And um, the death of Christ Christ is our penal, substitutionary, atoning sacrifice. That's a kind of a loaded sentence there. And we're going to kind of break out all of those terms. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I think your spaces should have uh, the words penal and the words atoning. Penal dealing with uh, penalty, atoning, of course, dealing with the atonement. And we'll talk a little bit about the atonement first and the, the idea of uh, the penal sacrifice will come up in that. But it's important that we understand that's the sacrifice and the way it's written out there is so that it helps us when we say that to understand what kind of sacrifice he is. When we say the penal, there was a penalty. When we say substitutionary, he, it's for us. We talk about atoning, it's for our, our atonement. Um, that that kind of loads that up. So if we, if we remember just that sentence, everything that we build below it will stick in our brains. 
So uh, the necessity of the atonement is the first one that we're looking at. And uh, let's take a look at the, the scriptures we have here. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son, what happens? The wrath of God abides on him. So uh, this verse is, we have the work of Christ, so if we believe in him, the wrath of God will not be upon us because he'll bear that for us. But apart from the work of Christ, if Christ had not come to do this work, we would we would be bearing the wrath of God and we would not be able to bear that. So it's this idea of this uh, atonement is necessary because um, we are unable to bear this. Um, Ephesians 2, 3, we are by nature children of wrath. Okay, we that's just who we are. We're going to um, live the way, as it says just above that, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging and uh, what well, we all know, our life before Christ. Hebrews 9.22, very familiar, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. We know the wages of sin is death. And I wanted to look at the uh, these last two little scriptures I added in, and here's that idea about the angel. So thinking about the necessity of the atonement, uh, what if God did, didn't want to save us? He could have done what he, look at the, uh, the scripture, Second uh, Peter 2, 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So uh, he did not save this, the angels. He, he cast them out. Uh, but he chose, he, he, it was his desire because of his great love for us to um, uh, redeem us and to save us. And that's important for us to understand. We also have in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, right there, that last scripture, uh, Jesus, Jesus saying, if it is possible, right? So if it were possible, here's the prayer. If it were, but the answer is it's not possible. He has to go to the cross. He has to do that work of the cross in order for, um, for us to have salvation. So we go to the next one, the nature of the atonement. And here's that word uh, penal. And so we have here, uh, if you were to look at, uh, you have penal and you have substitutionary, take a look at the two lines there. They kind of give you a, a, an idea of, of what, what, uh, what is being taught here. Jesus Christ paid the penalty of our sins. And then the substitutionary by dying in our place on the cross. So that's how the penal and substitutionary work. So he, he paid our he paid the penalty that we were we we were you know we should bear, or we could not bear, I should say. He paid that penalty by dying in our place. So that's where the penal and the substitutionary come together. We have uh, the very familiar scripture from uh, Isaiah 53. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, well, the, ch the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. I was going into another version of that. 
First Peter 2.24, he himself, again, we have a shadow of Isaiah right here. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Okay, and then from the substitutionary, we can go back to Isaiah 53 again. And um, uh, it says he was, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. There it is, numbered with the transgressors. Transgressors, excuse me. And then again, the scripture that we're very familiar with, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, we see that we, in order for us to be righteous, we have to have the, our sin taken care of and then his righteousness is able to come upon us. So the results of the atonement, what does it do? And we have a couple of uh, uh, words that are sometimes hard for us to, to um, well, remember. We have propitiation. Um, I think that's that, was that what the slide has right here? Can't yeah. see the slide. Yep. Oh, here we go. So um, propitiation, fully absorbing. Now, um, fully absorbing God's holy wrath. I I put also appeasing. God's holy wrath. So some of these uh, terms are, I don't want to say interchangeable, but they overlap just a little bit. So propitiation is, um, uh, and we see this in some of the, the songs that we sing that talk about him taking uh, God's wrath upon himself. And um, we have from Galatians here, having become a curse for us. And then in Romans 3, 23 through 25, we have the, the, the words there, God displayed publicly, publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, this word propitiation, I want to just take that, that slide there. There's uh, propitiation is helasterion. And um, it's, it's the word that's, that's uh, right there. And it is talking about appeasing the wrath of God. But uh, I want you to look at that in... Um, uh, in Hebrews, take a look at Hebrews 9.5 there. If you were to look at that verse, where do you think propitiation, because that same word, helosterion, is in this verse, even though you don't see the word propitiation there. What, what, what word do you think it is? I kind of gave it to you in bold, right? Mercy, Mercy seat, thank you. Okay. So, um, and, and, and if we've done any kind of uh, reading in uh, Leviticus, we are very familiar with the mercy seat. So again, we're back in the Holy of Holies. We have the Ark of the Covenant. This is where uh, God's presence comes down once a year into the Holy of Holies. We have the lid of that, the Ark of, of the Covenant has the, the, the cherubim facing each other with their wings outstretched. And right there is the mercy seat. And this is where the priest comes in and sprinkles the blood right there to atone for the sins of the people. And it's, it's, it's a very visual um, a thing for us to understand. And this idea of the mercy seat is, is, is really what this propitiation is, is, is about. The blood of animals appeased, atoned for them for, temporarily. But again, Christ sacrifices once for all. And so uh, we have this idea. So it is a, something that if you, again, want to do a study about the mercy seat, you really get an understanding of what this 
uh, that Christ is our, our propitiation. He absorbs God's wrath on our behalf. So uh, we go on to the, uh, the next word is expiation, fully covering the guilt of our sin. Uh, again, this the word expiation, sometimes you'll see it, it, it uses the, the um, there's the idea of cleansing or removing. And I think these scriptures here takes the way of the sin of the world. Um, so behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I like Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt, debt which was hostile to us he has taken it out of the way having nailed it uh, to the cross so um, and I think this has some of the, the the terminology that we see in the Old Testament where where atonement was covering um, and this is the idea of expiation but even the word expiation does does give us the the idea of expelling or removing and that's important So the next one looks at purification, positional sanctification, fully cleansing us from the sin that separate us from God. And this is where the idea of expiation, sometimes you'll see uh, it described as cleansing us. So get this idea. If you are, if you are, um, let's say you have uh, a shirt and it's stained and you throw it in the washer, washer removes the stain and leaves the shirt clean. Okay, so it's kind of a the 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 expiation is removing the guilt, which results in in our purification. Okay, so um, Jesus Christ took away our sin, and by and therefore, as it says uh, right here, you were washed, you were sanctified. Right, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin, and uh, Hebrews nine fourteen. Um, cleanse uh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God so um, looking at what the what is the atonement we have the wrath of God is appeased we have uh, our sins are covered uh, really more uh, accurately removed and uh, we are cleansed um, all through the work of Christ. So we'll take a look at the next uh, slide here. We're looking at, so we had Christ. Christ is our penal substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Number two is Christ is our legal substitute. And we know we talked about substitution uh, before, but we're going to kind of uh, break this out even a little bit more. So uh, we see 53.11. Again, we, we notice that we're going back to Isaiah 53 quite a few times. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. We're going to understand what justification is. It's, a, it's a, um, a word that's very important to us. And Romans 3.24 through, 23, through 26, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. We, went, we looked at that verse before. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the sins who has faith 
uh, of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at um, this idea of righteousness and uh, justification because uh, sometimes, again, we have these words that we, we interchange a lot, we talk about a lot, and we sometimes can uh, lose focus on, on what each word uh, uh, means. And I want to make sure that, I know for some of you, it, oh yeah, I know this means it's really easy, but for others, it, 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 is, it sometimes gets a little confusing. And I want to make sure that we have this really, really clear. So um, justification and righteousness are very related. In fact, they, they are basically the same word in different forms. And I wanted you to see that. And, and I threw the, th the Strong's numbers on there. So Strong's uh, uh, will has, um, you notice 1343 and 1344. That tells you that they're, they're right next to each other in the organization of, of this. And um, Dakayo Sune is a noun, which is judicial divine approval. This is righteousness, okay? We are righteous, we are righteous. Well, Jesus Christ is righteous. We are righteous because of him. So it's, uh, that's the noun, and it, you find it in Ephesians 3, 9. Uh, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness has come from God on the basis of faith. So this righteousness is dekaiosune. Okay, it's a noun. It's, that's um, judicial divine approval. Then we look at 1344, dekaiao, it's a verb, right? So that's a verb. It's to make righteous, all right? Or to justify. So they're very, very related, um, and that will help you to understand if you have, if you have trouble trying to remember what justification is. Um, I think I, I, we've kind of heard that, that um, saying, when you're justified, it's justify never sinned. Not really, because um, if it, it's really you're acquitted right because you have sinned that's even there's no like a double jeopardy once you're acquitted you're done if you're justified never sin once you sin and you're going to sin you, now you're now you're in trouble but justified is better than justified never sin so i i kind of cringe on using that one we are acquitted we are um justified even though we have sinned and we see that uh, in uh, Romans 3, 24 through 26, again, being justified as a gift of by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, I wanted you to just take a look at, at um, that understanding there. So again, down to um, the next one, Christ is our redeemer. Do I have that next? Yep, Christ is our redeemer. And uh, we have a number of, we understand redemption. We understand that Christ is our redeemer. I wanted to just say uh, um, a couple of things about the redemption here. Let me see if I can find something with bigger print. There it is. It's, it's uh, some, um, the slides get a little bit small in the print there. Uh, it, it, if you'll look at the third, um, well, the first one talks about, and we've seen this scripture again, he came to give his life a ransom for many, a ransom. And the idea of uh, what we see in here, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you've been bought with a price. So there is a uh, redemption has with it that there's a price there. And this is where it, get, it can get a little bit tricky. Sometimes people get confused and think 
that Satan had to be paid this price. Like, like we're owed a ransom to Satan. And that's not, that's not, that's not what's going here. Redemption is deliverance from bondage, loosening from bondage. And so if you're, you're in prison, you can't get out until your penalty is paid, okay? So once the penalty is paid or once the whatever it is is paid, now you can be released. The, the, the holy God required the, the, the payment for sin. Satan didn't require the payment for sin. When Jesus Christ paid for our sins, it released us from our bondage to sin. Because now, again, we are acquitted. We, we, we don't have to worry about that. The accuser is left without anything to accuse us for. And so we are, this is where our redemption is. It is a bondage to that and to our own failings in that way. Christ is our reconciler. Again, we see this at the uh, mercy seat. The idea of, of, of the mercy seat is, is, is that uh, God is appeased, and therefore, once he is appeased, now that relationship is made possible. And because of the, uh, uh, the atonement, we are now reconciled to God. And um, as it says right there, in Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, we will reconcile to God through the death of his son. And finally, we'll get to the last um, one here. Christ is our victor. And as Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors, right, For, through Jesus Christ. And so here we have the uh, from uh, John 12, 31, the judgment is upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, uh, every time I look at uh, Colossians two fourteen and fifteen, boy, I tell you, just it is such a cool portion of scripture. We've looked at, uh, um, I think, verse fourteen a couple of times. I just want to read it. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, right? That was that thing that held us in bondage, and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. It's done with. That's our redemption. When he had disarmed the ru rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Again, we have, we have, we have victory because Jesus Christ is our victor. And 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 57, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he says, oh, oh, death, where's your sting, right? And, and it's, um, uh, again, we have victory because of that. The, as, we, as we look through this, I know we've covered a, a whole lot here, but there is, um, there, you can break into any of these scriptures, and there are a, there are a lot of rich, rich uh, scripture uh, verses here that you could go and just spend time in and really just uh, just relish in um, a lot of these truths that we've just kind of given an overview on. And I, I, I would recommend that uh, you do that. If you have time during the week, just kind of go back and go through this again 
and take a look at a lot of these uh, scriptures and a lot of these themes. And um, I, uh, I would say you'll have no trouble breaking into prayers of thanksgiving and of glorifying the God who has um, sent his son to do this for us and Jesus Christ who has um, his work, which is in, this, in his humiliation, in his condescension, what he has done for us. And so, um, again, I, 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 um, I would uh, tell you that that would be a really good thing to do. So why don't we uh, go ahead and close in prayer, and then if you have any questions or any further thoughts, I'll be up here. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that is in your word, but we also thank you, Lord, for the depth which just is a, um, a rich mine that we can continue to go to and really find such uh, wonderful truths uh, of, of um, what you have given to us, what you give to us, what you have prepared for us, and the work of uh, Christ, which is uh, laid before us and all that it has accomplished on our behalf. And we are we are thankful, Lord, for the truths that uh, we find in your word. We, th we are thankful for uh, the work of your son. And we ask, Lord, that you would just um, just uh, give us pause to meditate and to consider all um, that we have uh, read and, and, and take the time to really um, consider and be thankful uh, for uh, your son, Jesus Christ. And, so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, help us with that. Uh, open, Continue to just uh, open our, our hearts and minds throughout this week as we continue to meditate and help us to understand these truths. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.